0: xbox on welcome to xbox on a podcast with one host about one console xbox i'm said host jesse Derosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest xbox news for the week of march 24th 2022 including hogwarts legacy has officially been shown and looks great cd project have confirmed they are working on a new entry in the popular witcher series suicide squad kill the justice league has officially been delayed and more Welcome to episode 146 of the Xbox On Podcast, that's right, 146 weeks ago, I was uh, just hitting record for the first time like a little child, not knowing what would uh, unfold in front of me, not realizing uh, the world of Xbox that was to to happen uh, with Microsoft buying half the games industry and everyone just constantly arguing about numbers that they can't interpret because Microsoft only releases so much information, but guys, we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm excited about this week. we got kind of a slower news week, but all the news that is here is actually stuff I'm really interested in talking about, and on top of that, it's just a good day because Jared Leto kind of leaked that progress is being made on a third Tron movie, so hey. The, it's the sequel no one asked for, but I'm super fucking excited for. So hey, we're maybe one step closer to getting a Tron 3 after like 50 years of people asking for it and Disney just not doing it. Anyway, speaking of media no one asked for, a little update for those of you who are who are keeping track, the Halo Paramount Plus TV show is actually now out as of the time this podcast is up. So if you are a Paramount Plus subscriber, fuck you, it's here. Actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, what is it, Paramount Plus isn't offered in the UK? And there's like no alternative way to watch it. Aren't there like certain regions where like they just don't have Paramount Plus? And it's just like, yeah, screw you. Find a way to watch the Halo show. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing this with another show that's on a streaming service. But what? what either way, the Halo TV show, it's out now if you listen to this show. I'm going to watch it when I get home from work. And I'm excited. I'm actually excited for it. You know, I'm not expecting this show to be groundbreaking. I'm not expecting it to tell a better story than the games or have a better rendition of these characters. I don't really care about any of that. I, I just think it looks like you know it looks like it's being shot well and that the costumes and the effects look good and that you know, it looks like a fun time so I'm just excited to watch a cinematic version of the Halo universe on TV and, and see what that's like and at the very least you know I saw people getting all up in arms because that that blurb was going out about how the show's creators were like oh no we didn't really draw inspiration from the game we didn't really pay attention to the games when creating the story and. And I understand why a lot of people are upset about that. I get you want to have an understanding of the source material so that you can do your rendition of it with respect and care for the franchise, but a part of me is like, you know what, I, I'm i sure they are familiar with Halo, at least to enough of an extent that you know they know who Master Chief is and the general gist of what happens in this world, but personally I don't really mind if this version of the show takes massive liberties with the Halo story because... I mean, worst case scenario, the show isn't good like most people were expecting and it doesn't really impact the games at all. So, you know, best case scenario, we get a really cool version of the Halo universe that's adaptable to TV. An audience that otherwise wouldn't play video games can enjoy Halo that way. I, I just, I don't really see how this is necessarily a bad thing and I, whatever. I, I have, I have basically non-existent expectations. I'm just excited to give it a try and see what it ends up being. And, uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there are. There's you know, always a lot of negativity on the internet. But most of you guys, I'm sure, who are interested in giving the show a try are probably just excited to see Halo on TV. So that's that's a very big, exciting thing. just want to open up with that. Now, guys, lots of things I want to open this week's show with. Uh, mild amusements, updates, corrections. Now, I should correct myself on our story from last week about my brother, Cronky, as you might know him, kind of ripped me a new one saying, you dumbass, talking about the story with 343, and with the lead multiplayer guy leaving and and, and all that fallout, saying Jesse, you're fucking dumbass. Maybe the reason why the lead multiplayer guy is leaving is because he's being he's being fired for fucking up and, and butchering the launch of Halo Infinite so much, not being able to lead his team into a more you know succinct vision for the game and being able to get a, a decent roadmap and, and, and amount of content out in the time allotted, and I'm like, you know what, that's probably a pretty fair point, but you know what, this is one of the downsides to having a show where there are no guests, it's just me talking to myself in front of my computer screen for two hours in my boxers. You can only get one perspective, and there's no one to bounce ideas off me, or keep me in check, or say, well, what about this? So, that's why, hey, that's why I asked for comments, is because you guys, feel free to call me out, tell me when I have a bad idea, or or elaborate on something I said if you think you got a lot more to add to it. I always welcome the feedback. I always welcome the criticism. As long as you don't insult my cat, we're good, okay? Keep your fucking comments about my cat to yourself. She's beautiful, and I love her more than you. Now, the thing I want to get to at the top of the show, and I guess this kind of should be in the proper news segment, but I just want to talk about it now because I keep thinking of it, and I I wish I had something really important to say on this, but I kind of don't because I feel like, even with all this data we're about to get into, we don't have enough information to make really any reasonable judgments off of this. But right now is GDC. It's Game Developers Conference Week. For those of you unaware, this is like E3, but not really like E3, but it is a big game-related conference, but more for people who work in the industry, not so much for us as consumers who play and buy and enjoy games. And so it's an event where lots of people from all different disciplines and facets of the industry get together and they talk about you know th- things trends in the industry and new innovations and things going forward and it's just a big event for people to be enlightened and to learn and whatever it's it's very industry-focused. And uh, Sarah Bond and Phil Spencer of Xbox had a 15-minute sit-down presentation video that went live on an Xbox for Developers YouTube channel um, as part of GDC. And this video started making the rounds because uh, Sarah and Phil kind of touch on some numbers and stats about Game Pass and what what they're seeing in terms of people who subscribe and how they interact with content and how much more they game and how much more they spend and all that stuff. And so let me let me just throw out some numbers real quick. These are some of the charts they said subscribers of Xbox Game Pass play 40% more games after joining the service. Let's just run through these and then we'll come back and talk about them in depth. They also said games on average see 8.3 times a lift in players if they're on Game Pass versus not being on the service. Day one launches see 3.5 times a lift in players for large publishers. So, you know, something like, I don't know, like Outriders or MLB The Show launching day and date on Game Pass generally sees 3.5 times more players on average compared to if it were just on the store for purchase only and then they say if it's an indie game it's usually 15 times more engagement so if we're talking about something like Cyber Shadow or like Tunic that just came out we're talking 15 times more engagement than if the game were just released on the shop for people to buy no other way to access it they also say subscribers spend about 50% more I I assume they're saying 50% more money on average than other Xbox users who don't have Game Pass and then they say indies see triple digit revenue growth so i feel like a lot of people are taking this as like oh wow see x you know game pass is super profitable it's super or not super profitable because i don't think that's really where people are getting with this that's a different argument that keeps being brought up but you see a lot of people going to wow see how good game pass is for the industry it's good for the publishers it's good for the developers it's good for the consumers because there's a lot of this back and forth as we've talked about on the show time and time again about is this good for the developer do you know indie developers end up making decent money does it hinder the performance of games Does it make publishers a little lazier or safer because they know if a game doesn't perform well it could just get thrown over to game pass there's all these different factors and ramifications potentially introduced as a as a result of game pass existing and i think you could spend hours talking about all the ways in which that's great and all the ways talking about in which it's potentially bad and we don't really the service just hasn't been around long enough other competitors like sony haven't really had a compelling alternative to this this service to really show and help juxtapose what what that looks like for the industry. So I think it's really just going to take more time and growth for us to really see the true ramifications of Game Pass. But I don't know. I just I want to adjust these numbers because this is the thing is like, I know a lot of Xbox gamers saw this and they're like, see, guys, this is great. You know, players are winning. Developers are winning. Publishers are winning. It's great for Xbox. It's great for everyone. And I, I, while I admire and respect people's, you know, positivity and willingness to be more positive in general about things, because I think the world could use some more positivity and just overall, you know, just some less cynical assholeness as I tend to provide. I I can't help but feel like I can't trust numbers and anecdotes that come from, well, you know, like any any big corporation, but especially Xbox and Microsoft, because you got to keep in perspective, this is the same company. That is afraid to share their numbers, their concrete numbers. Ever since the Xbox One came out, these guys have been afraid to say, just straight up, Halo sold X amount of copies. Our new console has sold X amount of units. You know, our new service has X amount of subscribers. They're, They're always dodgy with this stuff. Sometimes we get numbers, sometimes we get facsimiles, sometimes we get other vagueness, you know. When Halo Infinite came out, they didn't—they didn't, they weren't proudly, like, despite the game being on Game Pass, the campaign for Halo Infinite sold blank amount of copies. They did not say that. Instead, what they say is all the little bullshit that means nothing. They say things like, players spent over 500,000 hours in the first week of the game uh, shooting grunts in the asshole in Halo Infinite. It's like, great! Does that mean the game did well? I don't fucking know. And what the hell does did well mean when we're talking about Game Pass now in the conversation? Are we talking about revenue made? Are we talking about players? Or You know, and, and the thing is, there's so many ways to look at and measure success at this point that I feel like Xbox knows that and they can just kind of lean into that and be like, fuck you. Here's numbers. Whatever numbers make us sound and look good are the, are the numbers we're going to share. And then you guys aren't going to think too much about it and just be like, yeah, everything's good. So I can't look at these numbers and be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Everything's great because, because well, let's go through the bullets again subscribers play 40% more games after joining Game Pass. Of course that sounds great, but you got to think people who are willing to subscribe to Game Pass are your most hardcore gamers and your most hardcore gamers are the ones who are most likely to engage with your platform the most. So yeah, if I'm a hardcore Xbox gamer and I subscribe to Game Pass and now I have access to a shit ton of games I don't want to buy because it's already included in my subscription, I'm going to dick around and download and try out and taste make more and more video games because I can. So like, of course subscribers play 40 more games. So does, is that number really impressive, or is it kind of assumed? Because you think about it, and it's like, well, yeah, the people who aren't subscribing to Game Pass are more than likely you're more casual guys. That might be your guy who, like, oh, I just buy an Xbox every time a new one comes out so I can play the latest Madden or Call of Duty. It's like, well, yeah, that guy doesn't need Game Pass, or at least not yet, until Activision's fully acquired. Because you know those games aren't on Game Pass. They're not interested in playing games that aren't Madden or Call of Duty, for example. So. It's like, yeah, you kind of expect this. That number makes sense. You'd be concerned if that wasn't a true fact. So does that metric really mean anything? I don't know. Move on. Let's move on. Games on average see 8.3 times lift in players. That's really good. We see like indie games, it's 15 times on average. More AAA type games, it's 3.5 times uh, higher lift in players on average. That's really, really good. But again, it's like, well, yeah, man. Like if fucking Outriders is going to launch in Game Pass day one... A lot more people are going to be like, yeah, I'll give that game a try because I don't have to put $60 down to play it. Like, of course. So, like, is that a good thing? Yes, those numbers look good, but, like, it doesn't really tell you much. It's It kind of just affirms the things you would already assume as a result of Game Pass existing and being a service that's available to people. So, even though this sounds great, I just, you know, in the fact that indie games uh, have a way higher lift on average compared to bigger publisher titles, yeah, that's not surprising either because you think about like, okay, MLB The Show is on Game Pass. More people are going to try it because it's more accessible to more people. That makes sense. A game like Tunic might have a way bigger reach because a game like Tunic didn't have the marketing budget and the name recognition and all the shit that MLB The Show had. Of course, you're not fucking watching baseball on the weekend and seeing ads for Tunic or Cyber Shadow or whatever. Or, or what was that dog game with the two dogs that stretch like Foggles or whatever the fuck it was called? You're not seeing a goddamn Super Bowl ad for that, but you, you'll see a Super Bowl ad for, I don't know, fucking Halo or whatever. So, of course, the indie games are going to get way bigger lift in players because it's a game that had no exposure that now has a lot more exposure and a zero barrier to entry for, for subscribers because it's just fucking there. So people are just going to click on and be like, oh, what's new in Game Pass this week? Oh, Tunic, this looks interesting. You know what? Three gigabytes, looks cute, new shit, looking for something to play. I'll give it a try. Yeah, of course. So again, that doesn't really tell me anything positive necessarily, just kind of affirms the things you would already assume. And then they say subscribers spend 50% more. And so this is the one that gets me the most because I feel like everyone, they've said things like this many times before. And I feel like this is, People being like, oh, well, look at that. People get Game Pass and they buy more games. They buy more DLC. And I'm sure that is true. You know, people are like, oh, well, I get a discount on the DLC or I get a discount on the in-game currency with my Game Pass subscription. So it entices people more. But again, there's a couple things that play into this. So subscribers spend 50% more. Okay, well, again, those subscribers are probably your most hardcore players. Who are the ones who are more likely to spend money. So again, as a hardcore Xbox gamer, of course I'm going to subscribe to Game Pass. As a hardcore Xbox gamer, of course I'm going to buy more things on Xbox's platform than the guy who just buys an Xbox once every 10 years to play the latest Madden game. Because that guy only gives a shit about playing Madden. He spends 60 to $120 a year on his Xbox. I play a lot of games and I play I buy multiple games a year I buy multiple DLCs a year I buy multiple season passes and in-game currencies and fucking I buy my movies on Xbox of course I spend more on Xbox so again it's like that number kind of doesn't really tell you everything you need to know because your subscribers are more than likely your more hardcore and dedicated users so naturally they spend more than non-subscribers and then on top of that are they counting your game pass subscription as rev- as 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 spending more in general because you think about again to use that that overdone example that I'm using the guy who just gets an Xbox and plays Madden that guy might have an Xbox live subscription but like he's not really spending much more money other than that but the guy who has a game pass subscription well he's spending a guaranteed 10 to 15 dollars a month in just that subscription service alone so are we counting that as well because when you add that up, plus all the other games they're buying, plus all the other DLCs they're buying, it's like, well, yeah, no shit. They're spending more over you know the course of a year compared to the other guy. So I, I don't know. I just feel like, like I said already, these, these are numbers that kind of reaffirm the things you would already assume to be true. So I don't really know that we're gleaning new information as a result of this. So I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be cynical about it. It's just that. I wish I could look at this data and be like, oh, guys, good news on the front of Game Pass. But at the same time, I'm like, I I think I am too dumb to read these numbers and give you some really insightful information about what this really means or what Xbox is really hiding or, you know, if this is really just 100% honest, accurate, really excellent information that they're being super transparent about. I'm not smart enough to give you any of that. But I think I am cautious enough of how Xbox has portrayed and and conveyed data to us in the past to know I shouldn't take these numbers at face value and just be like, all is well, Game Pass is great. Because that's not necessarily the case. And so... The other thing I want to round out with in regards to the story is that, you know, during Phil and Sarah's conversation, Phil dropped some uh, some some nuggets of information, some quotes that a lot of outlets have kind of taken and run with. So I'll just read a couple of those because I think they're interesting to discuss. He says, and this is uh, in regards to developers talking about whether putting their games on Game Pass is worth their time, if it's a good investment, if it's a good risk. And this is Phil Spencer's response to that that topic. He says, I also want to make it clear to people that are out there for us at Xbox. There's not one business model that we think is going to win. I often get asked by developers, if I'm not on the subscription service, am I just not a viable option on Xbox anymore? And that is absolutely not true. We look at retailers and people selling games, buying games. It's an important part of our P&L profit and loss statement. And it's something that we invest resources in to enable our developers to do great work there. And then Phil Spencer continues to go on about how, Varying business models within this ecosystem are important to the platform. He says, "This is where I sometimes can contrast other forms of media to what we get compared to, whether it's music, whether it's video, or where the models have really condensed down to maybe one or two business models that are working." I fundamentally believe the strength in us in video games is the diverse business models and strengths of those. Definitely, in Team Xbox, we invest the business, we invest in the business models where developers are asking, ensuring that those are flourishing. So every year we see great new experiences that come to our platform that might never have been built if the business model cap- capability wasn't there on the on our platform before. So with those numbers and with that conversation kind of aside, I do, this is where it's like the the conflicted like uh oh, good guy Phil Spencer because I think I think he's right and I think he is being transparent here, which is that the idea at the end of the day isn't to get everything on Game Pass and to have every every developer who puts their shit on Xbox, be trying to get into Game Pass because there is money to be made outside of Game Pass. And some games are free to play, like Fortnite and Warzone. And it doesn't make sense to put those in Game Pass, obviously. And so this is Phil Spencer kind of affirming the thing I've been saying about Game Pass for quite a long time. And I don't think this is anything super uh, eye-opening. I think a lot of people have been able to see this clear as day, Um, which is that the benefit to Game Pass is we can kind of break down this barrier of what a game is because the concept of gaming for the past 10 plus years has been like oh yeah a real game is a $60 game that you go and buy from a publisher and an indie game is anything like $30 or less that you download from a digital storefront and it kind of confines what a game can and should be and the benefit of game pass is people can just make different digital interactive experiences regardless of the scale and scope and size and everything and budget and who's making it and all these things and decide where it's best suited whether it's in game pass or it's a free-to-play model or whatever and things like game pass are helping to really accelerate that future and i think xbox is pretty honest and transparent about seeing that vision and believing in it and trying to get us there faster and faster and how game pass is a huge part of that but i also you also see phil here being pretty transparent about like how hey that's not the only way these games are going to exist it's not the only way these things make sense like think about Halo Infinite, their biggest game that they've launched in many years. Yeah, Game Pass is great because it got you the campaign included for free, but you don't need Game Pass to play the multiplayer. You just download that shit for free. Because the business model there is they want to sell you battle passes and skins and shit. They don't want to you know, get you to subscribe so you can play multiplayer. They want the barrier to entry to be as low as possible so as many people can play it, so as many people can buy battle passes and skins and keep the player base big and supported, therefore keeping the game big and supported for many years to come. Whereas the campaign, you know, campaigns, video games that are campaign oriented or single player oriented, they usually have more of a shelf life or a one and done kind of presence to them where you want to sell the game Get your money that on that first run, and that's about it for the game. And so, yeah, that's the thing you include in Game Pass because then you're giving people the value proposition of like, oh, do I want to buy this game or do I want to just play it in my subscription service? Because you're not trying to retain them forever and ever and ever. So I, I get it. I think Phil Spencer and Team Xbox have put their money where their mouth is in regards to this idea. And I think this is absolutely something they truly believe in and are envisioning. And so I I appreciate and respect the candor of like, yeah, we don't think every game needs to be on Game Pass and we don't see a vision where like everything on Xbox is like, well, you got to have Game Pass to use it. So I I respect that and I appreciate that. But it's again, it's these numbers talking about like the success of Game Pass and what it means for the industry. And I feel like it's kind of like doing the service a little bit dirty in a way because, it's like you have this service that you're just bragging about how good it's doing and how much good it's doing for the developers who are involved in it and the consumers that have access to it. But at the same time, you're saying like, oh, but it doesn't have to be 100% about this service. But it's like, then why don't you be like a little more, I don't know, like a little more detail about what these numbers mean and things like that. And again, this could be me just like overanalyzing the hell out of something and being completely wrong about something. I don't know. But again, I just, when Xbox starts talking numbers and stats I can't just take those at face value and be like, oh, that's cool information. I just got to be a little more like, hmm, but what do you mean by that? Anyway, I find I find this information all incredibly compelling. You guys let me know what you think about it. If you uh, think I'm just being a little too critical or maybe conspiratorial, maybe, I don't know, probably not. But I'd be interested to know what you guys think about all this information. Now, it's a pretty heavy thing to start out with, you know, pretty deep news story to get into at the top of the show. See so we calm back down, take it down a notch, talk about some far less significant, far more just surface level stories. And then we can jump into some comments, maybe take a sip of our Mountain Dews. And it's been a long, it's been a long week. I don't know why this is getting mentioned here so early in the show, but guys, there is a Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie coming out April 8th. Be on on the lookout guys, very exciting shit. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Xbox Series S. It's like a skinned Xbox Series S and it's not being sold. It is a thing that's a giveaway. And this is the real weird kicker. It comes with two controllers. A red one and a blue one, but they're not just red and blue Xbox controllers. They are furry and fuzzy, like Sonic and Knuckles, I guess is the idea. But here's the thing is like the Xbox Series S has a sonic decal on it, has a Sonic ring on it. It's very Sonic looking. Okay, cool. The blue and red fuzzy controllers, furry controllers. These don't indicate Sonic to me at all. This just looks like furry fodder. So, like, I, I, what the fuck is this all about? Now, in order to enter for a chance to win this Series S with these controllers, you have to retweet this thing on, on Twitter, or you have to throw in some Microsoft Microsoft points. So, naturally, your boy threw down 200 Microsoft points to enter in the sweepstakes because it's Sonic, and I'm a shill, and I'm a fucking loser. But still, I, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I'm not looking at this as a Sonic fan and be like, oh, that's cool. Like, why can't you give me a black Xbox Series S controller, Series X controller, whatever, with like a cool Sonic decal on it or some shit like that, or like make the analog sticks look like rings or something, or like, I don't know, just give it sonic touches. Don't make it an actual furry fucking controller that looks like it's going to spontaneously combust. Because this is, this is just, this makes me more uncomfortable than anything, but saw a lot of people getting a kick out of that, so I felt like we had to acknowledge its existence. Now we're all worse off for having done so, but guys, next let's talk about Tokyo... <laughs> Let's talk about Ghostwire Tokyo. So the game is now out at the time you're listening to this podcast on PlayStation 5. You'll remember this is the second of two Bethesda published games, owned and published games, that are exclusive to PlayStation 5, or at least timed exclusives, as per an agreement made before Xbox acquired Bethesda. So this is actually the last game, and that's pretty notable, this is the last game Bethesda has to kind of shit out before they're completely under control by Microsoft and doing shit for Microsoft and no more PlayStation. Now, of course, we know there will continue to be support for things like Elder Scrolls Online on PlayStation consoles, and they'll probably put the next Elder Scrolls or Fallout game on PlayStation. But we know going forward, new shit from these games, new IP, new new games from these developers are mostly just going to be Xbox games. And so the last PlayStation-centric Bethesda-related title finally out, of course, developed by Tango Gameworks, Xbox is one and only Japanese developer, uh, the team behind the Evil Within series. Whatever the game's now out, the critic the the reviews are in, and I guess I just kind of want to touch on this a little bit. Personally, I think this game looks fucking awesome. It's one of those things I don't want to watch any more of it. I'll just wait a year until it's coming to Xbox. But this game looks very very good, and uh, it's getting it's getting solid reviews. It's not getting great reviews. I'm seeing things as low as like a six or a seven. And I'm seeing some things as high as like a nine. Uh, Out of 10. And so the big publisher, and it's kind of weird you see this because I feel like usually the big names are always within a similar ideology. It's like everyone's giving it like an eight or nine or a four or five or a, a six or a seven. It's everyone's always kind of within the same range or ballpark. Ghostwire Tokyo seems to be a little more polarizing where we're seeing... I've seen everything as low as like sixes and fives and as high as like nines. So right now it's, it's Metacritic scores of 76 from critics. I've seen some people saying the story is really weak, but the gameplay is super awesome. And I've seen a lot of people say the gameplay is really weak, but the story is super captivating and interesting and the world is awesome. And so just lots of, I mean, whatever, like any game, of course, you should, you know, if you're interested in it, you should give it a try for yourself and make your own judgment. But obviously for people like myself and a lot of us out there, this is a game a lot of us will be waiting on for a while until it's on Xbox. Now, of course, you can also play it on PC, so you don't have to uh, wait for it to be on Xbox just yet. But again, this is an Xbox podcast. It's safe to assume a large portion of the audience probably prefers to play their games on Xbox. So if you're anything like me, you'll be having to wait quite a while before you actually get around to this game. But I just thought it was notable that, you know, no one saw it with uh, time Deathloop, you know, Arcane's Deathloop, which came out last year, which is the first of these two PS5-exclusive Bethesda games. No one saw that game being as big as it was, critically. It ended up, like, cleaning up Game of the Year awards, getting nines and tens and everywhere, and just really, really doing well, critically. And then Ghostwire Tokyo, on the other hand, you know, I th- I feel like this was the more interesting looking of the two games, and we're just seeing it kind of just coming, you know, in, in the wake of this New Horizon game and Elden Ring and all this shit going on right now. We're just kind of seeing this game be kind of shut out. And I wouldn't be entirely surprised if maybe some why this game isn't performing as well or scoring as highly or being covered as much as possibly because Xbox just kind of wants to get this thing out there and be done with it so that now Bethesda can continue to go be a Xbox owned entity and make games for Xbox and shit going forward. I feel like that's not necessarily in Xbox's nature to be that way about it, but at the same time, with just how little coverage this game got, how little marketing it got, and just kind of the reception, the lukewarm, somewhat reception. I mean, it's, it's positive. It's averaging a C+. It's a pretty good game, you know, from a score perspective. But relative to what people generally consider, like, oh, really, really interesting game, it's getting kind of like middle-of-the-road, lukewarm reception. And and don't fight me on that. I, trust me. I Listen, I think a 76 is a great score. I, I, I'd i happily play a 76, but you know how the internet is. You know how gamers are. Anything less than a 90 is an F, basically, to them. So, I don't know. I just, I'm a little surprised to see that, but at the same time, not so much. I feel like maybe Xbox is just trying to... Maybe they cut resources or just kind of put a date on it. Like, guys, let's get this game out. Let's move on, you know? They probably want to be done with any contractual obligations with Sony and any tie-ups in that regard. Um, ready to move on and have this big purchase of Bethesda and all of its all of its entities be working on things that are going to generate money and and attention for the Xbox brand going forward so something to think about guys we have two more to get into before we uh, get into the comments this week and this next one kind of shocked me now Mav's man reached out to me and said Jesse You're stupid, and I hate your hair, but did you know Fortnite's removing building from its default mode for nine days at the start of the new season? So this is actually kind of crazy shit. For the next, I mean, I guess we're kind of like halfway through it already, but for the next couple days, Fortnite has removed its infamous or famous, depending on who you ask, building mechanic. And I think this is awesome. I think a lot of people think this is really cool. I think Fortnite's main player base, maybe not so much, but a lot of people out there who enjoy Battle Royale games, but just don't jive with Fortnite. I think this is going to attract a lot of attention to this game because for I, I've often said many, many times, Fortnite is a very fun game. I see the appeal. I get why kids are into it. It's like a, you can play it as a Battle Royale. You can also play it as like just a goof off, hang out, social space with friends. There's a million things to do in it. It's a cool game. I get it. But the building mechanic alone just completely turns me off from fortnite because i want it to be solely skill based i want it to be like listen we both start on this map with nothing we both had to scavenge and find our way around the map to to get what we have now it's just you and me who's the better shooter who's the better uh, fighter and defender you know let's you versus me but the building completely fucks that up because it's such an it's such an unrelated <laughs> Gameplay mechanic that's just like, okay, so I can be a way better shooter than you, but because you're really good at fucking playing Minecraft on the fly, you're going to fucking block me, build yourself a tower, and then snipe me from above. I hate that shit so much, especially because people have gotten so good at the building mechanic that it almost makes Fortnite, if you want to play it as just a battle royale, you want to play it a little more competitively, it makes it kind of like unfriendly to newcomers, I feel like, which is a weird thing to say about a game that is as massive Uh, as fortnite is but i think this is awesome god i wish i wish i had some more time some more free time because i'd love to give it a try but i I honestly don't know that i'm going to but yeah i just thought this was a notable thing i really wish they would just keep this or at least make it an alternate option where you can play fortnite without building going forward but you know notable man basically the biggest game out there right now doing something pretty bold and crazy so get out there and give it a try if you if you're Heart so desires. And uh, lastly, this one just broke right before I recorded. Sad news, but understandable and respectable. Uh, Warner Bros. games have officially delayed the release of Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to 2023. Previously scheduled to release this year, the Xbox Series X and S and PC game will now arrive next spring, the studio has confirmed. So that's roughly around this time next year we should be getting this game. Now, I guess this was kind of a little bit expected because we got the Arkham Knights release date. We got all this look that we're about to talk about uh, with Hogwarts Legacy. And this was like the third game out of w- or WB that people were like, okay, what's going on with this game? When's it coming out? So, you know, even like Lego's uh, Star Wars Skywalker saga, which has just been like constantly delayed and missing, is about to release imminently. Um, so it was only a matter of time before we figured out what the hell was going on with suicide squad. And I'm not entirely surprised to see that got a little bit of a delay. Now. The interesting thing is a lot of the rumors were that Harry Potter was supposed to be delayed and that suicide squad was supposed to hit its target, but it looks like just the opposite has, has been true. Hopefully the game will be ready in time for spring of 2023. Cause honestly, that's of all the games coming out of WB. That's the one I'm most excited to play. Um, this is definitely a day one buy for me. So, that's fine. There are plenty of other things to keep me busy for the next year, but uh, delayed till 2023. It's okay, gamers. You know, if you're a big DC game fan, at least you got Arkham Knight coming out this October. So, wha? Boo-hoo. Poor you. Now, that's it for this little opening. Stories of mild amusement and, and whatnot. A little more in-depth than usual. Maybe, maybe some of that should have been the proper news, but I don't care, guys. I, it's my podcast. I'm not even sure that anyone's on the other end listening, so... We'll do it however I want. It doesn't matter. But uh, before we jump into the bigger news stories of the week, guys, I would like to go to the comment section, hear from you, the audience. You know how it works. You go over to YouTube.com, type in the Xbox On Podcast. You click on the latest episode of the show, and you leave me a comment. You can say something really nice, like Jesse. Really like what you've been doing with the hair but I would like to stop for a minute and just appreciate what you did in the bathroom this past weekend. I think you did a really good job making sure the mirror was clean, the the, the counter was clean, you organized all the items there, you scrubbed the the, the bathtub, it looks really nice and spotless. Honestly, if you were to have a guest over right now, I think they would have zero complaints about the cleanliness factor of your bathroom. Keep up the good work. Keep scrubbing those those tiles. You're doing great. And I would say thank you so much. It's, it's nice to be appreciated. It's nice to be noticed, especially when you spend two hours of your Saturday cleaning a bathroom. So thank you very much for that. You could also be a total asshole. You could say, Jesse, I noticed you cleaned the bathroom, but what about the fucking carpets? Now, you could have vacuumed those, but did you? No. And let's be honest. You have a cat. Cats be tracking all kinds of kitty litter and whatnot around the place. So carpets need to be vacuumed. Okay. It's not enough to just clean the bathroom and tell yourself you did a good job. Don't sit down and drink that virgin pina colada just yet, pal, go on, get the vacuum out and finish what you started, pal. And I'll say, you know what? You're right. Even though I don't want to hear it, but you're right. And I need to be better at, 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 at cleaning for quite frankly. So appreciate the tough love. If that's what you want to comment in, it'd be kind of fucking weird. And maybe someone's going to wonder how the hell do you know what I did this weekend? But guys, that's how life works, and I'm going to read it because I'm desperate for comments at this point. You guys, very few people commenting in right now. I feel like feel like uh, my ratings are going down. I'm, what's happening here? So, not not many comments this week. Cronky writes in with a double header, and then we got some Mr. Miggy. Now, I will mention we got a first-time comment from Objects in Space, but Objects in Space, thank you for writing in. I will actually be using your comment in the news segment because your comment is very pertinent to our first news story, so... I didn't forget about you. I appreciate you writing in. We'll get to you in a little bit. But for our comments section, Kronky writes it and says, "X boners be like, I dislike Halo Infinite's current multiplayer station situation. Also ex-boners, the guy that put the game in this situation, the lead multiplayer dude left. Oh my God, this game is so fucked. Come on, guys. All right, Cronky, I already kind of addressed this at the top of the show. I know, I'm right. I'm a dumbass. As you as you call me, I'm an ex-boner. Please accept my, my apology. I think that's a really good... Criticism or interpretation of what's possibly going on at 343, obviously, neither of us are definitively right. Neither of us have the insight to know exactly what's going on. But it is quite possible that the reason that guy's out is because Halo Infinite's multiplayer rollout has been so lackluster. But you also continue on and said, by the way, I think the initiative has the wrong people at the top. I'm ha- I'm now happy. Perfect Dark is being made by Crystal Dynamics. I wonder if they'll reshuffle the initiative or shut it down after Perfect Dark. Yeah, to kind of double down on what I said last week. You know, I, I know a lot of people are, have been like, "Well, the initiative was never meant to be a big studio. They're they're meant to like take on support work and shit." Like, guys, I don't care because the, whether you want to defend it or not, at the end of the day, the initiative was supposed to be Microsoft's new big AAA team that was supposed to be of Naughty Dog Caliber, and they were supposed to put out the next big, highest quality game in the industry, and even if, despite everything that's going wrong with this studio, which is a lot, even though they've been around for like four or five fucking years and they have nothing to show for it, even though they're working on a reboot of a game no one wants to see remade by your quote-unquote highest AAA whatever developer, even though all of that's the case, they still have nothing to show, this game has no fucking prayer of a chance of hitting the mark that they've set out to hit here and by having crystal dynamics on board especially the capacity that we know they're in this is not an initiative game whatever the fuck the initiative is at this point this is a crystal dynamics game in partnership with xbox and this team called the initiative that is kind of a developer kind of just a fucking mess and so Let's let's say Perfect Dark is a great game. I hope it is. I really do, because I would love... I, I do want Perfect Dark to come back. I do want to play a Perfect Dark game. But when you tell me you have a new, from the ground up, AAA developer, meant to rival Naughty Dog, I think we're going to get an original IP that's super boundary-pushing, super, super story-driven. Can't wait to see what that's about. But you're like, oh, we're doing Perfect Dark. I'm like, oh, okay. I hope Perfect Dark is good, or I expect, at best, Perfect Dark is going to be good in the way that, like the Tomb Raider reboot that Crystal Dynamics did starting in 2013 is good. You know, like that's about the most I can ever hope for or expect from this game. Now I love to be wrong. I would love for perfect dark to come out and for me to be like, wow, that was better than the last of us and God of war 2018 and halo five and gears five. And what else do I love? Sonic unleashed all rolled up into one game. That was amazing. I just find it highly, highly unlikely that that will be the case. And at the end of the day, Whatever's happening between the Initiative and Xbox and Crystal Dynamics, whatever Perfect Dark ends up launching as will not be a game from the Initiative. It will be a Crystal Dynamics game with some leadership or creative direction and support from this hodgepodge team called the Initiative that can't hold talent for more than 12 months, apparently. So, I hope they don't get shut down. I hope they can figure their shit out. I hope Xbox can figure out how to manage this team and how to entice them and and inspire them and get them to do something really cool. And I hope that people on the lower end of the totem pole, as we learned last week, feel like they can get their voice heard and get their input considered and have more of a hand in developing whatever it is they want to work on. But I have such low expectations for that team at this point. It's okay. I love Halo Infinite. So it's okay. We got, we got Master Chief. He's uh, still very tall. Mr. Miggy writes in with possibly the most important thing we'll discuss this week and says, you know, Jesse, Because this is an Xbox podcast, I have to ask you, have you had any of the breakfast items from any, have you had any of the breakfast from any of the fast food joints? If so, which one is your favorite? Well, Mr. Miggy, this is easily, and thank you for writing this, this is a wonderful question. This is easily, this this question has easily the most potential to soak up the most amount of time of this week's episode, but I will try, I will, honest to God, I will try to keep it pared down. Because if we're gonna talk about all the fast food places I've had breakfast from, man, that's 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 too many to count. So off the top of my head, without any prior preparation for this, I'm just gonna to try to think of like the obvious ones. And and here's the thing: there's there's the most obvious one is McDonald's, right? Okay, McDonald's breakfast, super famous. Even people that claim they don't like McDonald's, like burgers and shit, even agree. McDonald's breakfast, that's something special. So there's McDonald's. Wendy's recently introduced and revamped and really doubled down on their breakfast initiative. And they they do a pretty decent breakfast. For as much as I don't like Wendy's, I'll say Wendy's does a pretty decent breakfast menu. Let's see, Sonic does really good breakfast. Burger King, we'll circle back to that. They As much as I hate Burger King and give them no slack for their terrible regular menu, their breakfast menu is so fucking good. Chick-fil-A does really good breakfast, those little chicken minis and... You can get the the bacon egg and chi- uh, it's a sorry it's a chicken egg and cheese bagel, but you can substitute on on a biscuit. It's really damn good. I'm trying to think what other ones are su- like super standout good. Before that's the thing is there's just too many Taco Bell does really good breakfast, but I'll be honest, Taco Bell is the one I find myself having the least because it's so hard to have. I feel like their hours are so limited for breakfast. There's never a Taco Bell close enough that it makes sense for me to stop there on the way for breakfast. And quite honestly, guys, in the past year plus since I really started. Counting my calories and trying to buckle down these things, I don't think I've had a fast food breakfast in in over a year. To be honest with you, and I'm not I'm not proud to admit that, but it's just the honest to God truth. And so, in in, in an attempt to keep this as fast as possible, I w- I will say McDonald's breakfast is reasonably considered king by many. And I think if we're just talking about variety and just uh being generally agreeable in most circumstances i think mcdonald's is the go-to right because their breakfast burritos excellent their um iced coffee pretty good the mccafe in general is pretty pretty solid like i'd rather stop through the mcdonald's drive-thru for two minutes and get a mccafe drink than wait at starbucks for 20 years and fucking 40 dollars later have you know a frappuccino or whatever so their cafe surprisingly pretty good uh, the bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits, phenomenal. The McGriddle, awesome. The big breakfast platter with the pancakes and e- hot cakes and everything, super good. I mean, e- everything they do is good there. So, like, I don't... The McDonald's morning hash brown, guys, come on. ah, The McDonald's hash brown in the morning, there's nothing like it. So, I will say for the sake of variety and just pleasing all parties involved, McDonald's is, I think, definitively the, the champ. But if I'm purely talking the one that gets me the most, as much as I think. Fucking hate Burger King because they can never be consistent. They can never get their food right. It's almost always tastes bad when it doesn't have to. And they're always just disgusting and poorly run and just complete shit restaurants. Burger King has this one fucking thing on their breakfast menu that is so goddamn good that it makes them go from completely irrelevant to like number one spot when it comes to breakfast. And it's called the egg Burrito. This thing is a massive fucking breakfast burrito. It's got scrambled eggs with cheese and hash browns and bacon and sausage and all this shit. And then they put like like uh, like a zesty, spicy, whatever sauce in it. But it's not like a breakfast picante sauce. It's like I don't know what the fuck it is. It's so goddamn good. It is the best breakfast item from any fast food restaurant, bar none. But again, this is Burger King we're talking about. So there have absolutely been times where I've ordered this. And I paid the fucking $7 or whatever the goddamn cost of this burrito is. And then because it's Burger King and because they don't give a shit and because they can't be consistent to save their fucking asses, they just give you whatever the fuck they want. You order this burrito, they'll just give you a burrito fucking tortilla with like, I don't know, here's like a a piece of sausage and some eggs. It's like, fuck you, close enough. So I've had experiences where I've ordered this and I haven't gotten this, and I've had experiences with this where it's not as good as it has been other times. But if you can find a Burger King that can consistently make this specific item the right way, it is by far the best. And the other thing that really puts it over the top because they're, they're hash browns at Burger King, they're solid. They're not as good as McDonald's, but they're solid. But they have uh, an iced mocha coffee that is also very very good. It's not, it, it's it's borderline chocolate milk. Let's be honest. It's not really like like mocha coffee. It's it's basically chocolate milk but pairing that iced mocha coffee with that enormous burrito it is oh my god the, what i would do is when i used to live in atlanta my dad would travel for work so when i was in college still living at home my dad would have me occasionally like wake up super fucking early on like a saturday or sunday to drive him to the airport so he could fly out for work for the week. And I'd be like, okay, you're waking up at 5 a.m. to take dad to the airport. Your reward is you get to hit Burger King on the way home and and get yourself one of them one of them suckers. And there's this one Burger King in Atlanta that just always got it right. And it was it was happy days, man. So that's my answer. But the caveat there being that Burger King generally fucking sucks. If you listen to this and you go, you know what, I would like to try that thing. And you go out of your way to go get that thing, chances are it's going to be made wrong. You're going to be charged wrong. It's going to suck because it's Burger King and they always fuck it up. So just stay safe and stick with McDonald's. But um, also, since I have become more calorie conscious and started counting and paying attention to these things, I've also noticed the EggNormous Burrito (laughs) is a breakfast item that has more calories in that one fucking combo than you're supposed to have in your entire goddamn day. So if you eat the eggnormous burrito, just know it's the the first thing you're going to eat for the day at like 7 in the goddamn morning, and then you can't eat anything else for the rest of the day. And then really, just to even it out, you should probably also go to the gym and then skip meals the first half of the next day just to kind of even it out because it is that incredibly bad for you. And just like, God, dude, it's no wonder I got overweight. Like I used to just not even think about it. I'd order that. And then two like value sausage burritos and just be like, ah, whatever, it's breakfast. It's probably like fucking three thousand calories before eight AM. Anyway, that is my answer. Mr. Maggie, throwing the question back to you. What is your choice? You know, shout out to Taco Bell. They do have good breakfast, those morning crunch wrap Supremes or those morning crunch wraps or whatever. Very good. You know, shout out to McDonald's, the best overall breakfast. Wendy that Wendy's that morning baconator, really good. That frosty iced coffee thing you do, very good. And I know I'm probably missing a bunch of other really good ones, but um that's uh that's that's my pick, Mr. Mickey. So thank you for writing in, Kind Sir, and thank you for all who wrote in and, you know, for next week. Seriously, guys, don't be shy, please. Tell me what it is you need from me. I will start making fake YouTube accounts and posting fake comments if that's what it takes. Don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing this week, but before I can tell you about that, I got to tell you about what I've been eating and speaking of fast food, I don't do a lot of fast food these days, but special week. I got to tell you about this one, guys, because this is actually really exciting. We're not talking about the mainstays. We're not talking about Taco Bell. We're not talking about McDonald's. We're talking about something I think a lot of you might be interested to hear about or learn about if you haven't ever heard of it before. So I'm talking Jollibee. Jollibee, famous fast food restaurant chain from the Philippines. So Jollibee is actually really popular in Asia, more specifically the Philippines, where it's from, and it has... Made its way to the US. Actually, I don't know how long it's been here, probably quite a while by way of California because California has everything. Fuck them. But Jollibee has really not had a presence in this country at all outside of California until pretty recently. They've started opening, I think they're in like Nevada or New Mexico or Texas or some shit like that, of course. Maybe one in New York, who knows. But Thankfully, I live in Florida where, unlike the rest of the South, we get access to a lot of cool shit that they have out west or up north because there's such a conglomerate of fucking people from all over here that businesses feel like they need to come here and and, and offer their shit, which is awesome. And so Jolly Bee, the famous Filipino fast food restaurant, has officially opened, and it's been open here for a while, but opened a location in like St. Petersburg, Tampa area. So about an hour and a half from where I live. Well, it was my girlfriend's birthday this weekend and we were out there on the coast celebrating her birthday, going to the beach, going to see a show, whatever, her birthday, not relevant. We're talking about Jolly Bee here, okay? The real star of the show. And uh, so we, we go out of our way to try this and I'm incredibly excited because a lot of, you know, Food-related YouTube channels I've watched, I've just raved and raved about this. My favorite food-related YouTuber, Strictly Dumpling, you may have heard of him. Very famous YouTuber, always raving about Jolly Jollybee. Now, in all fairness, these people always always make the note that Jollybee tastes much better when you eat it in the Philippines versus when you eat it here in in America. But I'm expecting greatness, okay? And I got I gotta be honest, Jollybee was was it amazing? No, it, compared to all the hype, I was pretty underwhelmed. Now, was it bad? Not at all. In fact, it was pretty good. I, I'm glad I went. I'm really glad I went. I would absolutely be back if I were in town near one, but I would not ever go out of my way for this again. Now, let me explain the menu a little bit to you guys because it's it might not be as conventional as what you're thinking for fast food. So you think, oh, well, Jesse, what the hell does a Filipino fast food restaurant look like? Well, they're really known for their chicken. So they have fried chicken like Popeye's or KFC. Um, they call it Chicken Joy. They have the, what do they call it? the fucking Jolly Burger or whatever they call it. They, so they have a burger that they're known for, which is kind of like their, comp- so their chicken is like a competitor to Popeye's, and then their burger is like a competitor to McDonald's, and then they have these dessert pies that are very much like McDonald's pies, and then they have uh, pasta dishes. So they have like Filipino spaghetti, um, which is a really popular dish, and then they have like this thing that's like um, like rice noodles with like shrimp and and, and um pork and like a, a sauce and and eggs and stuff. So that and then the, you can order things like burger meat with uh, sauce and rice and more like quote unquote Asian style dishes, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So the menu's a little bit all over the place. and it's, it's really to me that's really enticing and really interesting. So I'm excited to try this shit out. So I'm like, you know what? fuck it? This is the one thing I'm gonna eat today. I'm gonna go all out, try like all the highlights of the menu so that if we never get to go back here, at least I can say I try the things you gotta try. So we got this the spaghetti dish we got, The um, rice noodle and shrimp dish, we got one of the burgers, one of the chicken sandwiches, and then two pieces of fried chicken, and one of the pies. And I gotta be honest, the fried chicken game here, this is the nicest thing I'll say about them, the fried chicken at Jollibee's is fucking awesome. And it's really high quality fried chicken too, it's not like that shitty, definitely fake bird kind of chicken you get at KFC, and it's not like that weird like, oh it tastes really good, but sometimes it's not like really fresh like Popeyes, it's like really good chicken. Freshly made, super hot, delicious, really meaty, really crispy, and delicious. Awesome see- seasoning on that fried chicken. The, the fried chicken is very good. I will give them that. Very, very, very good. We also tried the chicken sandwich, which I was actually not all that up for, but my girlfriend insisted we have it, and I'm glad she made us get it because it's probably the best thing we had. Now I would say this is just shy of being as good as the Popeyes chicken sandwich, or maybe you know a little a little less than as good as a Chick Popeyes chicken sandwich, but certainly better than. 99% of these fast food chicken sandwiches that are out here trying to compete with the likes of Chick-fil-A and whatnot. This chicken sandwich is very good. I would say probably better than Chick-fil-A and 100% if I went back, this is the thing I would get. Now the burger, this is where I really got disappointed because I was excited for the burger. The bun sucks. The patty is, is weak. This is not a decent contender or competitor to the McDonald's cheeseburger at all. McDonald's, you're still the reigning champ. Don't you worry about that. Jollibee ain't coming for you in no way, shape, or form when it comes to burgers. But you know what they do have that's way better than McDonald's is their pies. Now, I've only ever had McDonald's pies. I know they're really famous. People love them. I've only ever had them like once or twice, and I don't really care for them. But Jolly Bee, like the pies there, they taste like fucking like fresh made. They're served the same way in those like rectangular little pockets. But they, they taste so fresh, so flaky, they're bigger, they're, they're juicier, and they always have seasonal flavors. So we got like a mango pineapple one, and like in the fall, they'll have like an ube one, which I really fucking wish I could have tried. Um, but that 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 pie was super good. So also really solid. Um, but the pasta dishes I thought were meh, just okay. So I don't know. All in all, I feel like I, I went in there hoping to have like a religious experience, like the way people talk about like going to In-N-Out Burger for the first time. And I walked away being like, that was very good. Very glad I tried it. Some things were certainly better than others. Don't necessarily need to be back anytime soon. So, Jolly B, thank you for existing. Now I hear they're building one somewhere in Orlando, which I'm very excited about. I will be back when that one opens, just to give you another chance. But I'm not holding my breath. You know, I don't need you the way I need Sonic, the way I need Taco Bell, the way I need McDonald's. I don't need you that way. I don't need you even the way I need Popeyes, maybe? Question mark? I don't know. Actually. I would take it over Popeye's maybe. I don't care. Who cares? But I'm glad you exist. I'm glad I got to try you. And guys, if you ever do have the chance, if you're in somewhere in California or you're in the Philippines for whatever reason or you're in Tampa, Florida, wherever it is you are, if you happen to be near Jollibee, I recommend you give it a try because, I mean, all of us here on the Xbox On Podcast, I know we are fast food connoisseurs. This is probably something you want to have under your belt because you wouldn't want to risk going into a board meeting later on in your career and, and having, you know, the director say oh yeah uh, uh, this is like that time we all went to Bees, and then you're, you're sweating profusely because you're like shit I ain't been to Jollibee I don't know what this motherfucker's is talking about and then you feel like a hack and then you jump out the, the 14th story of, of, of the high rise building you work in because you can't live with yourself anymore and that's just not a pretty situation so guys if you get the chance try it but don't feel like you're missing out too much because it's, it's pretty good but it's not like it's not amazing Okay, calm down it's not that great All right, that's it for what I've been eating. Now it's time to talk about what I've been playing. And and guys, again, as I said, it was my girlfriend's birthday. We were kind of out all weekend. And then when I was home, I was cleaning. So I feel like I have so many excuses these past few weeks. Like, oh, I'm not playing Elden Ring. Oh, I'm not. I haven't finished Far Cry. Oh, I haven't finished Destiny Witch Queen. But I, I, I genuinely have been just very busy the past few weeks and haven't really had much gaming time. But I will say when I have had gaming time, to my surprise, the only thing I've wanted to play recently is Halo, and I, I don't know what it was like about shit talking the whole multiplayer situation with that game, but something made me just really feel some Halo. So I've just been playing a lot of Halo Infinite, um, working through that Battle Pass. I feel a little feel a little behind because I know a lot of you guys have hit a hundred on that Battle Pass. I'm like, I can't I can't do this. I can't be hosting this Xbox podcast, talking each week about how much I love Halo, and then not be level 100 on the battle pass, so I'm working my way there, I'm at at 60 right now, guys, I finished last week's uh, limited time event and got those items, so hang on, I'm working there, I'm getting there, we've streamed a little bit of it Monday night, having some fun, but um, that's really all I've been playing, I wish I I had more to say, I'm really hoping, I downloaded Tunic, hoping that I get a chance to play it, I also downloaded the demo for Strangers of Paradise, that new Final Fantasy Origins game, didn't get a chance to play either one of them, tried to play them last night, fell asleep on the couch, (laughs) so... Hopefully this weekend I'll get around to trying some new games, making some progress on Far Cry, playing some more Halo. I, I don't know. But I'm also trying to get back to making a YouTube video, so that might take all my free time this weekend. Guys, who, who cares? The important thing is that you guys are hopefully getting the time you need to play your video games, because who really gives a shit about what other people are playing? Why do you what, what do you ask? You didn't even ask. I'm just telling you. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our hour-long, top-of-the-show bullshit meandering Now, let's take a break here and jump into the proper news of the week. See you there. All right, so let's jump into our news stories of the week. Now, our first one may seem a little bit dated to you because this happened literally just hours after the podcast went live. Although we knew that was the case because, as I said last week, the Hogwarts Legacy State of Play was taking place last Thursday, but we weren't going to delay the show over that. But anyway... Now we've had a week to sit with it. The events happened, 14 minute video, Sony released of Hogwarts Legacy. Guys, I knew this game was going to be, at the very least, good because it's being developed by avalanche software and i have full faith that they put out good shit especially now that they have more budget and time behind them and they're not like more of a churn studio from disney but yeah let's let's jump into this so reading off just the news story real quick this is relaying from vgc kind of a recap of what happened but warner bros games have confirmed that they are releasing hogwarts legacy during the 2022 holiday season so this fall this winter whatever the release window was announced during the state of play presentation this past thursday which showed off 14 minutes of gameplay captured on a PlayStation 5. Developed by Avalanche Software, Hogwarts Legacy is an open-world action RPG set in the world first introduced in the Harry Potter books. Taking place during the late 1800s, it sees players assuming the role of a new student at Hogwarts. Quote, the attention to detail in the passion and love for the brand the team has is astonishing. Hogwarts Legacy narrative director, Mayora Aquare... Fuck me! I can't. Whatever said during the presentation on Thursday. Continuing on, fans of the series will know that ancient magic has been around for a long time, to say the least, and that Hogwarts itself is a stronghold of ancient magic. And the avatar or the player has the ability to to sense it all and possibly wield or even control it. Due to be published under Warner's Portkey Games label, it was originally scheduled to launch in 2021 for the Series Xs Xbox One and PC, but last year it was delayed to sometime in 2022, which we now know is this holiday season, so probably November-ish is my guess if I had to take a stab at it now. Before we jump into my thoughts, let me read this comment from first-time commenter, Objects in Space. Thank you for writing in. Glad to have you here. Says, hey man, hope you're well. I know you probably don't care because for some reason you hate Harry Potter, but how about Hogwarts Legacy? It's everything I've ever dreamed of having in a Harry Potter game. Looks like they're doing such an incredible job. Guarantee you'll buy the game, love it, and finally become a Harry Potter fan that we all know you want to be. Also, CD Projekt Red also announced the next Witcher game. Interested to see more as the time comes. Hanging out for that Series X upgrade for Witcher 3. Well, I'm sure it's coming in the next few months. I feel like that's going to be like a summer thing at the latest. So anyway, this isn't about Witcher 3. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Objects in Space. Now, I don't know about this game making me a Harry Potter lover once I've played it. In fact, I doubt it will. But I am excited for this game because even though, yes, I don't like Harry Potter... I think the characters are lame. I think the story's lame. I think the world is kind of cringy at times. I, as I've said in the past, I I do like aspects of Harry Potter. Of course, the amazing John Williams soundtrack from the movies. I I like the aesthetic and the tone of the movies sometimes. You know, depending on the movie, but I, I, I it's hard to not like the aesthetic of Harry Potter. So of course, there are things about Harry Potter I like. You know, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, but every time I go to Universal. Orlando, I'm enamored with the Harry Potter lands they have built over there because absolutely beautiful, wonderfully executed, incredibly detailed, fun to explore, fun to be engulfed in and and immersed in. So in a similar way, the way I don't really care for Star Wars, but I like the Star Wars land at Disney. I don't like Harry Potter, but I like the Harry Potter land at Universal. It's kind of a similar thing here. This is part of why I love video games and theme parks, is because even though I don't necessarily love the characters or the story, if the world is captivating and the immersion is good and everything, I can I can be on board for that. So as someone who doesn't really give a shit about Daniel Radcliffe playing a boy with a little scar on his forehead who gets the world handed to him because he's a little orphan boy, I do really love the tone of this game. I really love the environments and the settings. And I think much kind of like what you're alluding to here. Avalanche Software proved in this 14 minutes that they get Harry Potter. Holy Fuck! This game looks beautiful. It looks stunning. It is, and as someone who's seen enough Harry Potter to know what Harry Potter should look and sound like, this game it's kind of mind blowing because it looks like it has everything in it a Harry Potter fan could possibly want. It has you can explore the castle, the grounds outside the world of Hogwarts. Technically, you can create your own wizard. You can build friendships and go on quests and do side content and get sorted into a house and kind of identify with your own your own character, which I. I think it's really fun way to not just tread or retread a story people have already experienced with Harry and Ron and all their friends, and I think that's fucking awesome. I think the best way you could do, and I don't think this is exactly what the game is, but I I think kind of the best way you could make a Harry Potter game, in a way, would be to kind of take Harry Potter and make a Persona game out of it, because a a large part, I feel like people just get so bogged down in, like, all the weird, creepy spells and boy who should die kind of thing, but, like, the, the fun thing about Harry Potter that people latch onto is is the social aspect of it this is a story about kids and, and these friends that create these bonds and in this kind of community together and of course they have all all the shit that ensues along with that but a huge part of what makes harry potter alluring for people who are into it in the world of hogwarts so it, captivating is you know you, you wish oh I, I wish i could be a student at hogwarts i wish i could live out that fantasy and exist in that world and make friends in that world and that's what this game does is it lets you become a Harry Potter character of your own choosing and to be social and be sorted into the house that you you want to be in and do all that. And I think that is exactly the direction you want to take a A, high-budget Harry Potter production. And that's exactly what Avalanche Studios has done here. And now Harry Potter's had good games in the past, don't get me wrong. Famously, everyone loved the first two Harry Potter games from the first two movies back in the day. Obviously, those games are very archaic and antiquated by today's standards, but I don't think we've ever had, you know, I'll liken this to Spider-Man. There have been plenty of fun Spider-Man games throughout history, famously Spider-Man 2 on PS2 and Xbox OG. Very, very good game developed by Treyarch for the Spider-Man 2 movie. Wonderful game, everyone loves it. But there have been plenty of good Spider-Man games, Web of Shadows, the N64 Spider-Man game, all all these games, right? But Spider-Man never got a full-fledged AAA, big production, heavy story, unique individual putting spider-man on a video game platform as like a main attraction kind of experience until insomniac made 2018 spider-man for ps4 i feel like that's what we're getting here with hogwarts legacy it's like we've had so many harry potter oh it's a tie-in game it's you know it's the it's the promotional game for the movie and this and that it's a little budgety a little fun but they they, they end up making something good out of it despite the the limitations and the constraints this is harry potter's chance to make their spider-man 4 it's it's its own unique story that stands on its own, exists in the universe, and doesn't rely on trying to be a cash grab associated with some other Harry Potter adjacent product. It is entirely and independently its own entity, its own product. It is fully fully funded, triple-A, had plenty of time in development hands to make it happen, fully realize the vision and We've never seen that with Harry Potter, and I think it's going to be really exciting for gamers once they get their hands on that, especially Harry Potter fans. I'm excited on behalf of Harry Potter fans because I think this game is going to be excellent. Now, of course, I don't get too excited because we haven't played the game. Let's not suck it off too much, you know, but I am very excited to play this game. As a huge fan of Avalanche Software, it brings my heart so much joy to see this team live again and to see them thrive this much. They've never been able to work on this big a project, and I, I, I love this because, you know, Back in the days when I was an Avalanche supporter and a fan, seeing them owned by Disney and work on kind of more cash-grabby movie tie-in license games and then on Disney Infinity, I always said, I was like, this is a developer that has really high potential but is obviously kind of bottlenecked by being a budget team with budge- with a smaller budget, shorter development windows, forced to work on these tie-in properties for Disney movies And they always did great, don't get me wrong, they made so many good games. I love Disney Infinity in particular, one of my favorite games of all time. But it was always apparent that, clearly, Avalanche Software never had the time or the budget or the resources to make a full-fledged, fuck-off, beautiful, like, next-gen, triple-A game. And Hogwarts Legacy is absolutely, or absolutely looks to be, their first actual chance to get to prove that. And in that regard, I'm so excited for this game. Uh, the combat looks phenomenal. The socialization, the exploration looks awesome. This is a game that absolutely just... You know, I'm always arguing against games that are like, oh, fuck you, make a character. We're not going to create an interesting character. You just make your own character. And I know I might sound hypocritical for me to actually praise this, but this is the kind of game where this makes sense, you know? Like an Elder Scrolls type game, where it's like you want to make your own character because we've seen Harry Potter. You know, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, you're emotionally attached to the characters from the books and the movies, and you know their story And so you're already invested in that universe, invested in that world, invested in the events that we know unfold in that universe. Now this is giving fans of Harry Potter the opportunity to do the thing they've always wanted to do. Aside from that, which is exist in it and interact in that world themselves. So I I, I feel like Avalanche did such an amazing job of finding absolutely everything people would want in a Harry Potter game and giving them that while also making it a really cool looking, just awesome, badass video game for people who enjoy good video games. Aside from the fact that this is a Harry Potter affiliated product, this game looks really, really good. Like if this, if Harry Potter was not a thing, if this was the first Harry Potter anything ever released, I would still say this looks cool. It looks like a fun game. It looks like really good combat, good exploration, it looks like a nice 30-hour game I can sink my teeth in and get lost in this world with. There's customization, There's uh, you can craft, unlock, upgrade, skill trees, open world, take on quests, socialize with friends, build your own character, get stored into a house, go down a, a narrative-driven story experience that's built from the ground up to tell a specific story, and they really nail it here with the, with the setting taking place during the 1800s. I love this. I love this. Taking place long before the events of the proper Harry Potter series, so you're not tied down to the bullshit that happens in the books and having to explain things and try to do the stupid Star Wars thing where they're like, oh, yeah, 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 here's a new character. How can we make him related to Luke Skywalker for some fucking reason? Like, they can just do something unique, tell their own independent story. It's in a familiar world people love and are attached to, but it's a unique standalone experience. And I think this game looks like an absolute treat. Yes, as someone who traditionally does not like Harry Potter... I'm very excited for this game. I'm very open to trying it. And you are absolutely right, Objects in Space. Now, I don't think this game is going to make me a Harry Potter. I had my Harry Potter fan moment. It was when I was a little kid and the movies first started coming out. I thought I was into it. Went to Toys R Us. I bought a broomstick toy. I saw the first few movies in theaters with my mom and my sisters. I've grown out of it, okay? Some of us grow up. I don't wear diapers anymore. I did one time a long time ago. Don't wear them anymore. Harry Potter's like diapers. I just outgrew them. Although, might come back around to it when I'm an old man. Who knows? All right. (laughs) Now, I I won't even mention the J.K. Rowling controversy surrounding this game because that to to me, that's fucking stupid because J.K. Rowling clearly has, like, no fucking part in this game's development. I, I know she's the owner and creator of Harry Potter. And, of course, she will get some form of payout and compensation as a result of this game being a Harry Potter product, but I see I see people talking about boycotting the game and all this shit. It's like, guys, you know, do what you gotta do if you feel like that is morally the right thing to do. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I respect you going to do whatever it is you choose to do as, as you see best fit. You could have plenty of criticisms of me and the, th- the moral stances I take in this world, but I- I'm tired of seeing J.K. Rowling constantly dragged into the conversation with this game because she's not affiliated with this game. She's not making this game. She's not creatively, to our understanding, she's, Almost no creative involvement in this game. This is a game by the fucking brand ambassadors or whatever that group calls themselves on behalf of the Harry Potter lore circle. I don't know what the fuck they call it. Like, Star Wars calls it Lucasfilm. I don't know. Whatever that is. And Avalanche Studios. And you're only taking this out on the people who worked hard to make a really, really awesome game that they're really passionate about by choosing to make all the coverage of this game negative because of J.K. Rowling or choosing to boycott the game because you don't like J.K. Rowling. I I just feel like you're missing the point and it's, you're picking a fight just because it happens to be Harry Potter related, I I don't know, again, I, I don't want to get into that, and I don't want to talk about that, because I just feel like it's a very unre- irrelevant uh, talking point, even though this is technically Harry Potter, but um, I, I don't want to choose to look at this game that way, I, I want to focus on how the team at Avalanche has put together what looks to be a really, really good game, people are really excited about it, and I'm really happy for them, and I'm very curious and excited to try this game for myself, so that is the, the lens in which, through which I, I, I choose to look at this, and we will not be talking JK Rowling in regards to this game unless something in the news prompts that we do, but I don't think that's going to be the case. All right. Look at you, objects in space. Your comment is just relevant to everything we're talking about today because you say you're also really looking forward to some Witcher 3 shit coming to the Series X, the the, the console next-gen upgrade, of course. But uh, our next story is about CD CD Project Red, who confirmed just what you're talking about, their next game in the Witcher series. So from Windows Central... CD Projekt Red has confirmed that they are officially working on a new Witcher game. The announcement consists of a single image, a Witcher medallion half buried in the snow, and the words read, a new saga begins. Most notably, the game won't be developed using CD Projekt Red's Red Red Engine, which powered prior games such as Witcher 3 Wild Hunt and Cyberpunk 2077. Instead, CD Projekt Red is opting to use Unreal Engine 5 for the new Witcher game, working closely with Epic in the process. Quote, Epic has been building Unreal Engine 5 to enable teams to create dynamic open worlds in unprecedented scale and level fidelity. We are deeply honored for the opportunity to partner with CD Projekt Red and to push the limits of interactive storytelling and gameplay together and the effort will benefit the developer and community for years to come. And this is a quote from Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney. Continuing on with the story, CD Projekt Red noted, the Red Engine will still be used in other projects like the upcoming expansions for Cyberpunk and Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which was critically acclaimed of course. Cyberpunk 2077, on the other hand, wildly criticized at launch with extremely poor performance and criticism of stereotypical depictions of various characters, blah blah blah. Now, a current update, a current generation update for Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is also currently in development, although there's no date for that as it stands now. My guess is is late summer-ish. So I feel like there's not too much to talk about here. This is this is one of those rare examples of like, big news, not much to talk about because CD Projekt Red's going on, let, let's break it into two parts. They're going on to work on the, the next game in the, in the Witcher series, right? Yeah, of course they are. Of course they fucking are. Think, think about it, it, CD Projekt Red was not a big name developer until Witcher 3 Wild Hunt came out and then they blew up into the stratosphere and everyone fucking knows their name and everyone loves them. Witcher 3, super massively successful game. Everyone fucking loves it. Okay, that was their Elder Scrolls moment. But then they go to make their their Fallout game, right? They work on Cyberpunk. Everyone's super fucking hyped for it. They botched the fuck out of it. They decided not to work with a publisher. They decided to do it all on their own. Completely fucked the whole thing up. Cyberpunk, even though it sold absurdly well and they made plenty of money, they definitely hurt their brand, their reputation, and the Cyberpunk name by releasing the game when they did, how they did, and everything surrounding that. So, of course, they're going to go next back to their Elder Scrolls thing that made them a shit ton of money and bought them a shit ton of Goodwill. I feel like this is obviously... Where they go next, you know. So there was there were some legal hangups of a year or two ago about the the author of the Witcher series, the legalities of it with the with the author. I'm not even gonna try to say his name, Sapowski, whatever. With like Polish law, where like apparently like once you've made X amount of money. You had to pay a certain amount to the original rights holder of the IP or whatever, some kind of litigious IP related hang up where, you know, famously CD Projekt Red got the IP rights for Witcher for like next to nothing and then made Witcher 3, which made them so in, so substantially rich. So basically some legality situation where they had to rework things to help get the original author some more compensation for his IP, which is, of course, nothing but a good thing. And I guess whatever that legality ordeal was got sorted out to a point where CD Projekt Red is still able to use the Witcher IP clearly if they're going to work on another Witcher game so that's not terribly surprising but I I guess that's somewhat of note here so that's what I mean big news obviously the next Witcher game is in development but didn't we all kind of expect this isn't this kind of obvious what is there really to say on this so that's kind of the first part here so I, I see CD Projekt doing a very much Bethesda game studios kind of thing where it's like Elder Scrolls Fallout Elder Scrolls Fallout so it's like okay they just did their Fallout game now they're going back to Elder Scrolls it's kind of you know I feel like that was kind of obviously that was a pattern they were kind of repeating but the more interesting thing is the choice to use Unreal Engine 5. And I feel like the reason for it is quite obvious. And the story even kind of alludes to it, which is that, you know, when they decided to do Cyberpunk, they took on a big risk by not working with a publisher. They didn't work with WB who did Witcher 3. They worked completely on their own, self-published, self-produced, and clearly bit off more than they can shoot because they were not hitting their milestones. They were not, they were not underway with like a, a, a good current gen version of Cyberpunk when they were developing that game. They completely botched so much shit. And I think obviously going forward, you know, they probably learned so much from Cyberpunk that they feel confident in continuing to work solo without publisher, but they want to ensure that development goes smoother and better next time to where they don't have a Cyberpunk situation again. And so engine work is a clear and easy way to kind of help mitigate some of that risk because obviously Unreal Engine, biggest one of the biggest supported engines out there, having the backing and the support of Epic Games to help them with understanding and working the engine, and all that will probably help them to not be so on their own when it comes to working their engine and getting their game running and performing everything. And so by having those assets or not assets, that's what they do, but having that tool set kind of handled for them on behalf of Epic, especially with the power and the capability of Unreal Engine 5, which we haven't really seen put to work yet. I th- I think it's kind of obvious to them that they're like, hey, we want to be able to mitigate any kind of opportunity for another cyberpunk situation to happen again. So let's use this engine that is supported and backed in a way that we know it can realize the vision of our next project and we and we don't have to worry about having another incident like that happening again plus i mean unreal engine 5 we've only seen really the demos of it so far so capable so powerful that you know you got to assume it's got to be a pretty compelling engine to want to work with so obviously saves them a lot of development costs and a lot of time with not having to tweak and update and rework their engine to just use unreal engine of course using unreal is more expensive because they have to pay Licensing a fee cost, but probably smarter business decision in the long run. So again, I don't. I wish I had more to say here, but it's just like, yeah, huge news, huge announcement. But you know, what more do you want to say? Of course, they're going back to Witcher. All I can say to that is, good for them, good for fans of the Witcher. I really need to get back to Cyberpunk. <laughs> All right, and next up on the docket, this is a, a little bit of a sad one. This is a re- so GamesBeat put out a huge, fully in-depth report this past week about Moon Studios, the team that worked closely with Microsoft to make the those Ori. Games, Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori the Will of the Wisps, not Xbox owned. We all assumed that they were going to be acquired by Xbox, but ended up remaining independent. They're working on a new game and a new report from games, be- games Beat this past week revealed basically some toxic work environment, work culture harassment going on at the studio. So as recapped and relayed from Windows Central, a new report suggests that internal culture of Moon Studios is all altogether different from their wonderfully beloved games fostering an environment of toxicity and harassment. The incredible extensive report from GamesBeat collates interviews with many former and current developers of the studio who describe it as an, an oppressive workplace, with allegations centering around co-founders Thomas Mallor and Jenedy Carol. Oh my god, guys, i be named like John and David so I can pronounce your names or something. Moon Studios, known for being entirely remote, apparently fosters an anti-corporate culture, which translates to Mara and Carole. Making numerous casual, inappropriate comments and jokes regarding racism, sexism, and more, prov- providing unclear and confusing direction while rarely providing positive feedback, and otherwise using the open and honest channels of communications to actually abuse and harass. There are currently no lawsuits placed against the studio founders, but the company reportedly suffered high, extreme turnover rate. Former devs summarized their experience being mentally wearing, with one claiming that the culture was "death by a thousand cuts." The co-founders apparently used the allure of the studio's prestigious games in the promise of large bonuses to rapidly hire new talent and to replace the developers leaving the company, with new hires being unaware of the culture they're, they're walking into. Now, both founders responded to GamesBeat reporting with the following quote, Moon Studios has prospered for 12 years. We have grown and learned so much over those years. We have been privileged to work with so many great, extremely talented people, and we're truly grateful and proud of our team, those who are here today and those who spent time at Moon and have since moved on to other ventures. We are happy to have made a positive difference in their lives." We are not perfect, and we, are, and we deeply care about our talent and are constantly working to approve. If we have ever made anyone feel uncomfortable or let down, we regret that, and we will always strive to do better. End quote. Moon Studios currently has two published games under its belt with Ori and the Will of the Wisps, winning a plethora of awards and astounding, an astounding both critics and players. Or in and Ori and the Blind Force and Ori in the Will of the Wisps have close ties to the Xbox platform, of course, both of which were counted among the best Xbox games for platforming fans. The grim reporting detailed did relay current and former developers' tales, indicating that Moon Studios' culture does not mirror the quality of its excellent game. So you can go in and read this report. It is a very lengthy report, and I'll, I'll be quite honest, I did not get through the end. I, I read most of it, and then I, I was in the car and didn't ever get back to reading the, the rest of it. I, uh, I gotta be honest, at this point, with this story just becoming so repetitive and so constant in the games industry and always a little different too. whether we're talking about activision or ubisoft or in this case moon studios i can't help but feel like we've reached a point where it's like i just need to tell you what the story is and what the facts are we need to condemn the bad actors and move on with our lives because what more is there to be said now i get a little hung up on these things because depending on the reporting depending on the quotes they're able to attain these stories can sometimes be seen in a little bit of a he said, she said light, right? And there's a little bit of a gray area. In the case of Activision and in Blizzard, we're able to easily condemn the right because we have factual evidence and in accounts of women, specific instances of women being discriminated against. You know, a, a coworker who took her own life, having nude photos of her, passed around the office at a party. You know, the CEO of a company verbally threatening to have his assistant killed. Now... I know people like to contend the context in which he said it It may have been one of those things where it's like, listen, if you don't get, you know, this meeting set up or this issue resolved, I swear I'm going to have you killed. You know, it's like it. it's not like, listen, I have a hitman at your house. I'm going to have you killed if you do not have those papers on my desk by Monday morning. So, again, context is everything. And I'm a huge advocate and proponent of context because I feel like. In a world where there's a lot of mob mentality, a lot of dogmatic culture out there, especially on the internet, where people just want to get mad about a thing, attack a person or an entity or something, and just take something down. The thing that people are always so willing, terrifyingly, easily willing to sacrifice in the process is intention and context. It's always like, someone said this thing, which could easily be interpreted as racist or sexist or bigoted out of context. That person's terrible. And we need to ruin their life. It's like, okay, okay, come, come now. In the context of what we have from this article, from GamesBeat, this report, it seems like if these accusations are true, they got some really shitty cultural issues here. But also, if it is just what we've been presented here, it's kind of it kind of misses some context because I, I will say this: I work a retail job for a company that is not, you know, is not like I'm an independent content creator who works by myself and makes all my income alone independently. I'm not in some super buttoned up like board meeting where i'm with other high-end executives and we all have to watch ourselves because we're on tv and we're being reported on i work in a retail customer service whatever fucking corporate environment whatever other people who work there because we all need jobs we all have families and we need a means to an end right anyone who's ever been in that position which is an overwhelming majority of human beings who have ever had a job Know that when you get comfortable in a work environment, when you get comfortable with your coworkers, whether you are reading them correctly or not, most people tend to slip into a level of comfort where you goof around and you have fun with your coworkers. I know in my office, at my work, we say ridiculous stuff all the time. I work in an office full of... A bunch of dudes who live in apartments with their girlfriends or wives and fucking work their day job with people like me and we just do our thing from morning to afternoon and then we go home and enjoy the rest of our lives clock off and forget where we work and what we do for a living and when we're at work sometimes it's busy we badmouth each other and we shit talk each other and we say ridiculous things and we do stupid shit in my job we all carry nerf guns in our office and We constantly, like, goof around with each other, pull out our Nerf guns and, like, shoot each other with them and, like, throw expletives and curses at each other and say ridiculous shit. You could easily walk into my job as an outsider and take out of context the things we say and the things we do and be like, this office is insane. It is toxic. It is out of control. It is unacceptable. Easily. But, again, we are, like, regular nobody working class Joes for a retail job for some corporation. No one gives a shit about So you would never know. But I feel like so often with these studios, it's like you hear about this stuff and you can't help but wonder like, is this like one or small group of people who like don't like this kind of camaraderie and don't like this kind of way that people interact and talk with one another at this job? Is this like them kind of like being like, this is unacceptable. I'm going to go report this or try to get these people in trouble and exposed Or is this, like, genuinely a toxic and harassing kind of place? Because I'll I'll say, of course, there's always a line. You know, at my my work, you can't go into my job and go to, like, my female coworkers and start, like, sexually harassing them. You can't, like, touch them inappropriately and say shit to them or try to treat them like less or pay them less because they're women. That's not a thing that would fly in in my job. My company wouldn't do that. No one I work with would do that. But we say terrible things to each other all the time in a joking fashion. So again, it's like, where is that line? And for everyone, the line is different. So when all you have to go off of is the vagueness of like, oh yeah, they say terrible things in the chat. You know, they make they make anti-Semitic jokes. It's like, well, again, it's like we all know what it's like to have a job where you're just fucking around goofing off with your employees because you'd really rather be anywhere else doing anything other than your job right now. And it's like, are you really saying things like, I, I think the example they gave in the Games Beat article was someone saying something about some kind of comment about, you know, some stereotypical anti-Semitic Jews are cheap kind of comment. And it's like, okay, th- but nah, the text out of context, I- I- the text message out of context, is it someone, is, is this like one of those things where it's like a Jewish person making fun of Jewish people to his non-Jewish coworkers? Or is this like a non-Jewish person making comments about Jewish people to his non-Jewish coworkers? It's like, what is the context here? Because it's like, I don't know, I, I go to my job and I make fun of fucking white people. I make fun of, like, I literally made fun of myself, myself today at my job, talking about how my girlfriend picks on me for not liking to eat mushrooms and cilantro because I'm a basic white person who doesn't like those flavors or whatever, whatever, right? But you could take that out of context and be like, oh, yeah, well, this person said this about this type of person. And it's like, well, yeah, without the context of understanding who the person was, who their audience was, why they were saying that it's like yeah well of course it just sounds terrible to say that kind of thing and so again i'm i want to be careful because i i know to some people who are very much on the side of this place is probably a really toxic place these 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 these, uh leaders of this studio need to go you might be hearing what i'm saying right now and be like jesse you're walking a thin line there you're excusing bigotry you're excusing sexism you're excusing racism I'm, I'm really not trying to do that. I'm I'm really just trying to say it's hard for us as an audience to get a report from this, especially with so much vague information, and to be like, well, well, obviously that place is fucked. Because, again, in the case of Activision, that one's so cut and dry. We have really specific examples, really disgusting examples of women being paid less, passed up for job promotions, harassed, discriminated against, really fucked up shit. The, the cubicle crawl or whatever it was they, they were talking about, like, Really fucked up shit, objectively bad shit. But in the case of a reporting like this, it's like, ah, we got a bunch of like he said, she said out of context relaying of text messages that were floated once or twice. And it's not stuff like, hey, you know, Susie and HR, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to kill her. You know, it's not like that. It's like someone made a joke. We don't know who or to who or what the context was, but I'm, you know, we're interpreting that as racism. It's like, ah, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to excuse the co-founders of the studio. And I'm not trying to downplay the severity of the way in which some former and current employees of this team felt ostracized, othered, offended, like like sexism or racism was thrown or to them, around them. I'm not trying to discredit that or take that away. I'm just saying it's hard for me to take this story as someone who's so far removed and unrelated to this situation in this studio and to tell my, my small audience of listeners, all right, guys, these guys are real assholes or all right, guys, these guys are totally innocent and people are like just trying to cancel them. It's like because neither of those things are what I'm trying to say. I just think we're at a point where I don't know, especially with the specifics we're being given here. Don't know what to make of this. And also, it's really disheartening to see because, regardless of what the situation is, it's it's disheartening to see that anyone has to feel this way at their job. That you know, if this is all misunderstanding, why can't why why can't we have more of a standardized work culture and a mainstream work culture where people can figure this out and hash these things out amongst themselves, and it doesn't have to become a whole like, all right, we need to report this to the media so that the players can understand the people who made the video game they like are saying offensive texts and tweets and shit. It's like, how can we? I don't know, like, what is it going to take for people to, I guess, kind of wisen up and figure out their specific work environments well enough to learn the people they work with and around and find out where that line is and what is and isn't appropriate. Because sometimes I'm, you know, not knowing the specifics of which cases are and aren't other than maybe Activision. Sometimes I'm just not convinced that we're, (laughs) we're getting a story that's really as severe as it's being portrayed. And sometimes I feel like we're getting stories that are probably more severe than than what we're talking about like the like the shit that was happening at ubisoft like that shit was way more serious than it ever got the attention for that shit was pretty much as serious as the shit that was going on in activision and it was only the news cycle for like in eh, like a month or whatever about a year before the activision shit happened and no one ever talks about it in, in that case some of it was kind of bad because some of the people who were accused of shit during that during that scandal got to stay on with ubisoft and are still there to this day so i i don't know man as someone who knows very little and is so unremoved and Mostly has no business knowing any of this or being involved in any of this. I just got to say, if if there are people who are genuinely and seriously offended and hurt by this, that sucks for them. And I'm sorry. And no one should have to be putting up with that in a work environment. And if this is a situation of just like out of context, bullshit being blown up and blown out of proportion, I'm sorry to those who can't just be human and have to fucking deal with everything being the end of the world and a huge deal. So I, I don't know what to make. Good thing for me is I haven't, I, I've played Ori in the Blind Forest, but I never beat it, and I never played Ori in the Will of the Wisps, so I can say that if these guys are bad guys and all this stuff is as bad as the story suggests, potentially, I'm not a bad actor, because I didn't contribute here. I didn't buy these games. I'm not playing these games. It's you guys giving it the fucking 9 and 10 out of 10s, you goddamn video game media outlets. No. I'm, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying to, in all honesty, I am trying to handle this sensitive subject with care it's just I don't I just feel like maybe we the audience aren't aren't really the aren't really fully capable of understanding the nuance of all these situations especially in one that seems as ambiguous and limited in insight as this one all right now that I seem like a fucking uh, bigot sympathizer let's uh, move on to the next story here IGN reports, and I, I don't know why more outlets weren't covering this for some reason, but IGN relayed it. Friday the 13th and Predator Hunting Grounds developer Ilphonic have revealed Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, a, a new 4v1 asymmetrical multiplayer game that is set to be released on PC, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and Q4 of this year, so late this year. In Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, you will have the chance to put on a proton pack, grab a ghost trap, and monitor Your trusty PKE meter as a Ghostbuster in a team of four brave souls pursuing ghastly ghosts terrorizing public locations. Your mission is your mission is simple: find a ghost, or sorry, as a Ghostbuster, find a ghost, blast them with uh, streams of particle thrower, uh, tether them in place, and then shut them in the trap when the timing is right. The ghosts, on the other hand, when you play as them, you'll have to use your abilities to fly and teleport between rifts. Possessing objects and hiding in plain sight, and using the power of slime to summon ghoulish minions to win the day. While the game does support solo play offline with or without AI, cross-platform multiplayer will ensure that Ghostbusters and ghosts will be able to play together regardless of which platform they choose. Which is basically them saying this game won't fall apart and be unsupported the way Predator Hunting Grounds was, which was PlayStation specific. <laughs> they know Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed will ca- will casually sorry was casually revealed by Ilphonic co-founder Raphael Sadiq in October of 2021 on a podcast when he confirmed that the studio was working on a game in the beloved Ghostbusters franchise. I never knew of that. I don't know how well uh, spread that, that information was, but this is the first I'm hearing of this game. And hey, I got to say, th- this is cool. The thing is, I, I am, I, and I've expressed before that I'm really not into these like horror 4v1 asymmetrical multiplayer games like these Dead by Daylight tight games Friday the 13th all that it, it doesn't do it for me it stresses me the fuck out every time I've tried one of these games but I know they're huge I know people really love them especially Dead by Daylight and I can't help but feel like as someone who hasn't seen the Ghostbusters movies I've tried to watch the first one it just didn't do it for me couldn't get through the first 30 minutes of it I've never seen a Ghostbusters movie so keep in mind I'm very ignorant to this series the most I know about Ghostbusters is I really liked Luigi's Mansion on Nintendo GameCube, but just knowing the, the generic shit I do know about Ghostbusters, I feel like this this series is actually really well-fitted for this this uh, genre, this 4v1 asymmetrical thing, because it gives you the excuse to do, I don't know if it's going to be first person, but it gives you the excuse to do first person, more of a gun, you use your proton pack thing to scoop up the ghost or whatever, so more of like a gun type weapon or, or thing. Uh, and so it feels a little more of less like a hide and seek and more of like uh, one team versus another team with different abilities. And so I, I like that. It's a little less melee focused, as is the case with something like maybe Friday the 13th or Predator or or Dead by Daylight. And I don't know that that appeals to me. I feel like this of all the ones of this this trend, this genre, this thing we've we've been seeing with take an IP from like a horror or a horror adjacent franchise and then attach it to the 4v1 asymmetrical multiplayer thing. As much as we've seen a ton of this in the past few years, I feel like this is the property that maybe speaks to me the most. So I'm slightly interested, although if in all honesty, I'll probably never play this game. I think it sounds cool. I think it's also good for Ghostbusters fans because Ghostbusters fans are are massive in, in numbers They and they rarely get um, video games. So I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like every time maybe it's just cause I used to watch a lot of Greg Miller back in the day, but I just feel like Ghostbusters fans are always waiting for a new video game and almost never getting one. So this makes me happy for them, but, <laughs> um, yeah, coming out later this year, I think this one with it being cross play and being on all the platforms and not stranded on just PlayStation, I think this game has the potential to be big. I think this game could do very well if Microsoft can lock it in for game pass, especially so that would be a wise get, I think, on their part. But yeah, the, by the end of this year, so probably sometime in November, um, this this should be out unless it gets delayed like everything does. But finally, guys, our last story, and we're keeping with horror games, surprisingly, which we don't normally talk about too much. As relayed from Windows Central, Supermassive Games is back with another horrifying adventure. After its foray into the Dark Pictures Anthology, Supermassive is going back to its roots and developing what looks like a spiritual successor to Until Dawn. The Quarry, as the game is titled, sees players controlling 19 camp counselors whose last night at camp turns into a bloodbath. Like Until Dawn, the Quarry boasts state-of-the-art facial capture technique that re- uh, that recreates in the ensemble cast starring David Arquette, Ariel Winter, Ariel Winter, Justice Smith, Brenda Song, Halston Sage, S- uh, Siobhan Williams, Skyler Gisondo, Evan Ivegora, Miles Robbins, Zach Tinker, Ted Ramey, Lance Henry, Henrikson, Lynn Shane, Grace Zabrinsky and Ethan Suplee. I, I knew those names for the first few names and then they completely lost me on the second half there. Anyway, Supermassive Games notes that the game will have various difficulty settings that players can customize. Uh, movie mode will also allow players to experience the quarry in cinematic movie, selecting how the events play out while watching the action unfold. The quarry will feature—that's actually really cool. The quarry will feature an online play and co-op as well, allowing friends to vote on destinations that could cost the camp counselors their lives. The quarry is due out on June 10th for Xbox One, Series X, Series S, and PC. So that's actually incredibly soon. Pretty cool. Pretty nice. Exciting game. Uh, I'm down for this. I'm actually really into this. So uh, for those who don't know, just because they don't have as much of a history with um, Xbox, Supermassive Games are the guys that made, I think in 2014 is when it was released, 2014 or 15, uh, Until Dawn, which was a PlayStation 4 exclusive horror game. It was kind of a almost a little bit like a telltale game where it's like, you know, you choose your dialogue, kind of choose your own path, light gameplay, light walking around Resident Evil old-school style with, like, puzzle solving lightly and exploring environments. Uh, But it was kind of like a goofy, campy, slasher movie um, with all the tropes, uh, where, you know, it's like, the various cast of teens, and they all do the stupid things, and they all kind of get picked off and killed one by one. And people really, really loved that game. It It was quite a big hit on PS4 early on in the generation. And for whatever fucking reason, Sony never locked that developer down. And after they did like some VR shit, they they went on to make a deal with who would they make that with? This oh, they made a deal with Bandai Namco. That's that's such a weird one. But for this uh this this series of games called the Dark Pictures Anthology, which is basically like more Until Dawn esque games, but in these kind of like one off releases of like these two to three hour games they're releasing like one a year they, they have like a contract to do like i think like eight or ten of them or something crazy like that and they're they're they've only made it through like maybe four of them cronky actually got me the first one i played the first one it was called man of a dawn i actually thought it was quite good i played it on xbox but people tend to not like the dark picture anthology games as much as they liked until dawn on playstation uh, I've always meant to play, but I've just never gotten around to it. But anyway, the query is exciting because it seems like they're playing into that even more and going more back into what Until Dawn was basically, as they even say, making a spiritual successor to Until Dawn. Um, and since they're not tied down to PlayStation and they're still working with Ben on Amco, they can make this on Xbox. So we get a chance to play a game like this now. I, I'm interested in this. I might buy this and save it for Halloween time. But then again, I bought Until Dawn like three or four years ago, and I've been meaning to play it for Halloween every year since, so who knows what the fuck, if I'll actually do it or not, but, um, no, this game sounds really cool, looks really cool, and I think it definitely helps fill in, you know, speaking of games that would be great if they could get this on Game Pass, helps fill in a gap that Game Pass or that Xbox really needs, which is more of these kinds of horror, episodic, adventure-type games, uh, or I would say more of these, like, choose-your-own-adventure games that PlayStation is kind of famous for, with Until Dawn and Detroit Become Human and stuff like that, which they did really well with in the PS4 generation. This gives Xbox a little bit more of that stuff, which is good for the platform, but also just, you know, good for, good for us, the player. I I, I want to play this game. It looks cool. I like that it's campy. I like that it leans into the tropiness of the slasher thing. I don't know what it is with me. I really don't like horror movies, but I like horror games. So knowing that I can experience this kind of story in an interactive video game makes me a lot more intrigued than watching watching you know like i know what you did last summer or something like that instead so i'm down for this i'm excited for this game count me in for this one june 10th very soon also summer release thank god you know super massive games congrats to you so few fucking publishers and developers know how to put games out in the summer we need more of this bandai namco also put out scarlet nexus last year during summer bandai namco good for you guys for seeing summer as an option and not staring clear of it all the time all right, that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. Let's round out with a couple quick, important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite important enough to warrant their own discussions. Starting out with uh, some possibly uplifting news, VGC reports Stalker 2 developer development studio will be moving some of its staff to a new office in the Czech Republic, according to a new report. Czech site Vortex reports Ukrainian studio GCS Games, or sorry GSC Games World is planning a move from its Kiev studio to a new office in Prague as its home as its home nation uh, continues to be invaded by Russian forces, unfortunately. Although it doesn't appear that the complete relocation of the entire studio is, is currently happening, Vortex reports that according to a reliable source, part of the team is indeed heading to the Czech Republic, where they are already registered as a business over there. The move takes place so that GSC Game World can continue to work on Stalker 2, as it's been on hold since the invasion started. Now, I don't really give a shit about this news for the sake of Stalker 2 not being delayed as much as it's already been delayed that really isn't relevant at this point it just makes me glad because it means at least some of the developers are going to get out of this really really dangerous uh environment that they're in and provides them some safety so that's really the, the more important part of the news here but promising hopeful you know uh, next up, VGC reports a trademark that allows Team Goldeneye to be the term Goldeneye to be used for downloadable electronic game software has been granted a second extension this week, amidst speculation of a 007 Goldeneye HD remaster. Donjock LLC, the company holding its, uh, that many of its trademarks, characters, and other elements of the James Bond franchise, was granted a second extension uh, on March 15th, just a few days ago, in several classifications. Now we've heard many recent rumors about an HD remaster, so. If this in any way kind of ties into that, it is possible that this is just another another um, another piece to the uh, 007 remake puzzle That's hopefully results in us actually getting a remake. Next up, VGC also reports that over the past two years, or sorry, over two years worth of Apex Legends content has seemingly leaked. A major leak, including video and text files, was uploaded to a hosting site uh, and then shared on Reddit, which has a significant amount of unannounced content. Seemingly, the leak uh, shows... N- The next nine legends that are set to be revealed, as well as a new map called Divided Moon, plus fresh weapons and heirlooms, whatever the fuck that means. And then next up, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members in the U.S. are able to watch the new Halo show free of charge for one month through a new promotion for Game Pass subscribers. A free 30-day Paramount Plus trial will be made available to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers beginning on March 23rd, which is, of course, the day I'm recording this, which is, of course, the day before this podcast goes live, which is, of course the day before the Halo TV show debuts. And then coming from Xbox Wire, for us, hey, let's celebrate springtime. The Design for Xbox team has collaborated with PowerA, OtterBox, and 8BitDo to create a selection of pastel products that embody the whimsy of springtime. This new range of controllers offers varying designs and colors to spice up an Elite Gamers peripheral library. (laughs) You can tell I wrote it a little bit too. I changed some of the wording. The various controllers and accessories will be available in the coming weeks and are available for pre-order right now through the Microsoft Store and other retailers. These controllers look really cool, but unfortunately they're all third-party and I don't want that. I want Xbox-made controllers, so if I could use these prints for the design lab, I would do that, but no. And then finally... VGC reports that Microsoft is seemingly planning to remove the ability for Xbox users to share game screenshots and videos directly to social media platforms such as Twitter for some reason. Windows Central spotted the latest Xbox Insider build published to members on Friday, which removes Twitter sharing entirely from the dashboard. I saw I saw Jez Corden tweeting about this. Instead, Twitter has been moved to the mobile sharing option alongside other social media platforms, which means Xbox users will have to upload clips to their phones and then share them from there, adding a second step to the process for no reason, just making things unnecessarily complicated because uh, Windows 8 was better than Windows 11. That's why. All right, that's going to do it for all of our small news stories. Let's round out the podcast. Wind it down, you guys. Xbox Wire reports three, three, 13 new games coming to console this week for Xbox platforms that you can look forward to. Let's read them real quick, go through them. We've got Kraken Academy, which for some reason shows a picture of Broccoli. What the hell does that have to do with a Kraken? Tainted Grail Conquest, March 22nd. It's a Game Pass game. It looks like some kind of Elder Scrolls knockoff thing, but hey, it's including Game Pass, so maybe you can try it. Zeroscape, the Nonary game, is March 22nd. It's on Game Pass, and it looks like lots of anime boobies pointed at your face. A place for unwilling, March 23rd. This looks like an iPhone game, but it's on here. And there's a girl who's like from the olden times, and she's in a western town, and there's ghosts around, but. It's kind of ugly looking because it's like top down and sketch drawn and not really pretty. Ricky's Nightmare comes out March 23rd. Looks like a limbo knockoff, but maybe it's good. Who knows? Who cares? Certainly not me. The pizza delivery boy who saved the world is optimized for Series X, optimized for Series S, out March 23rd. And I want to play this game. I want to play this game so bad. There's a hyper-realistic photo of a pizza. And Doug is saying, now what's the second cut? Do you cut the pizza in half or cut the pizza in thirds? I need to look into this game. I seriously want to play this game. This is fucking awesome. Yes, pizza sim games, please and thank you. Thunder Kid: Hunt for the Robot Empire comes out March 23rd. I love this uh, Sega Saturn N64 type graphic thing that this is going for. Series X and S optimized somehow because smart delivery. This game looks fucking cool. I don't know what the fuck this is. Run and gun action experience. Is it on rails or not? It looks like, I don't know. This game looks cool. I'm actually interested in this as well. A Memoir Blue comes out March 24th. It is on Game Pass. And there's a girl looking in a body of water. And when she sees her reflection, there's a chibi, kitty, cartoony version of herself. So hopefully she uh, comes down from her high from taking those mushrooms pretty soon and sees herself normally again. Norco comes to PC March 24th. PC Game Pass. Fuck you, console owners. There's all these, like, demon-looking things. There's a dog in the back of a truck. And then there's a bunch of cables and wires and a duck. And I don't really know what's going on. Guys... Airy Calm Mind 2 comes out March 25th. Is this potentially like Mirror's Edge? I don't know. Who knows? Bouncy Boy in Puzzle Land comes out March 25th. And even though the name is trying to be cute and and cool, the game looks boring as fuck looks like a Nintendo eShop game, and I'm not a Nintendo gamer. I'm an Xbox gamer, so fuck you. Devastator comes out March 25th. It's optimized for new consoles. It's smart delivery. Really colorful, really fun. Twin Stick Shooter for people who love Twin Stick Shooters. Retro Modern. I actually am also interested in this. Holy hell, how do they have three games I'm interested in this time? looks pretty good. Might have to give that a try. And then finally, the biggest game this week, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Comes March 25th. On Series X and S, smart delivery, optimized new consoles. This is, of course, the big Borderlands standalone game thing from the Borderlands people for Borderlands fans. Getting pretty decent reviews. People seem to like it. If you like Borderlands, it seems like you might like this. I personally haven't really played Borderlands, so couldn't really ever get into the second one. and never really gave it a try past that. So I can't speak to that, but I know Borderlands fans are probably interested in this. It's apparently pretty good. It's out on Friday, so... What are you doing? Stop playing Elden Ring, you fucking scrub, and go play this game. Now, let's round out the podcast by reminding you of Games of Gold. For the rest of the month, guys, you got the Flame of the Flood available. You got Street Power Soccer until April 15th. You missed Sacred Two Fallen Angels, you fucking idiot, but you still have SpongeBob's Truth or Square available until the 31st, so download it while you can. That's going to do it for all of this week's information, podcast, whatnot, you guys. As always, I greatly appreciate the support. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Xbox On. If you want to continue to be a supporting part of this show, if you weren't too offended by my stupidity this week, then maybe head on over to iTunes or Spotify and leave me a nice five-star review. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. But even if you don't like it, give me five stars. It really helps the podcast grow. Subscribe on YouTube. We're on the path to 1,000 subscribers right now. We're just a little bit over 900, so I greatly appreciate your support and us getting there so far. And uh, if you want to interact with me for some fucking reason, I'm on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. Follow me on Twitch. I'm live every Monday. I'm trying to do some bonus streams because I've been trying to do more streaming. But we're live every Monday night at twitch.tv slash You can also find me on YouTube, Xbox On Podcast, or Lightning Extreme there as well. Or I'm working on a new video right now. And spoiler alert, it has to do with Elden Ring. But don't get your hopes up. I'm not playing Elden Ring. But guys, that is it for this week's episode. As always, greatly appreciate your time, your support. Hope you have a great week. Stay safe out there. Watch that Halo TV show. Let me know if you like it or not. And until next week, power your dreams.